Good morning, and welcome to episode 566 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hello. I am coming to you again from Kansas City, where I saw the Royals even the series last night at 3-3 with a 10-0 victory that got out of hand pretty quickly, and for once, we probably don't really have any managerial moves to discuss or critique, so those of you who are sick of how October has turned into the month where we talk about managers will be happy to learn that we probably won't be doing that today, at least as far as their Game 6 decisions go. I'm surprised that you say that, because there was talk. First of, all, first of all, there was talk about whether PV should have started in, mm. in the first place. And then once they pulled him in the second, I saw a lot of, if you're willing to, to replace him with Petit in the second, why aren't you willing to just start Petit? So that was a thing that people talked about, not one that I <sighs> think is holds up to scrutiny, but yeah. people say. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll amend that to say managerial moves. I am interested in discussing or critiquing. I don't know. That's that's uh, people have been talking about why Petit hasn't started since earlier in the postseason. And but this was a wrinkle. This was the if you're if you're willing to get him up, you know, three batters into the second. That mm-hmm. it was a twist. It was a <laughs> twist on the argument. Not one that again. I don't think one that holds up to logic. But. Right. It was this. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah, so this was a game where luck played a role. If managerial moves didn't, luck did, but not one that really determined the the outcome, perhaps the final score. But everything sort of happened in the, the second inning, or the game was more or less decided in the second inning, where the Royals had eight hits, and at least five of them were weird. <laughs> there were weird hits in that inning. A lot of Babbitt luck, soft contact, weak contact hits, and not only did they have those hits, but they clustered them together, which is kind of lucky in a, a different way. It started with, with Alex Gordon's broken bat leadoff single, and then a couple batters later, Mike Moustakis hit a double that was kind of a, a jam shot that he pulled just inside first base, not very hard. Brandon Belt almost got to it. And after that, there was, what, there was the Escobar infield single where Belt fielded it and, and looked home, perhaps not thinking that Sal Perez was on third or thinking that someone faster was there or that whoever was there would be going on contact and Perez was not. And by the time Belt focused his attention on first base. Escobar was close enough that he could slide in under the tag. And then there was kind of a a weekly hit Lorenzo Cain single. And then finally there was that just weird Eric Hosmer hopper double where before the game Ned Yost had talked about how hard the Royals infield is relative to the Giants infield. And there were some conspiracy theories about the Giants watering down their infield more than usual to slow down the Royals runners. And I don't know whether that was true. It it seems as if their infield is just slower as the norm throughout the regular season. 
And we saw how hard the Royals infield is last night when Hosmer bounced the ball in front of the plate and it turned into a double somehow. It bounced over the infield and into left center. And so I asked Inside Edge about these hits because, as you know, they they rate the hardness of every hit, and that is sort of a, or every batted ball, and that is a subjective rating. They're not using exit velocity or anything, but hopefully it's a somewhat consistent subjective rating. And so I have some numbers from them on what the Royals did last night. Um, So during the regular season, 42% of hits were well hit, as as deemed by Inside Edge. And on Tuesday, last night, only four of the Royals' 15 hits were well hit. That's 27%. During the regular season, 23% of hits were weak contact, according to Inside Edge. In Game 6, six of the Royals' 15 hits were weak, so that's 40%. And typically, 14% of Batted balls overall that are weak contact become hits, but six of the Royals' 19 weak batted balls in Game 6 did, so that's 32%. And maybe maybe the Royals aren't the typical team in that they're fast and they can beat out more weakly hit balls than the typical team. Still, this was this was some weird stuff, some unpredictable stuff, and, and Bochy said as much after the game. He Someone asked him how he thought PV had looked, and Bochi said if PV had had a little luck, he probably gets out of that inning. They just hit the ball where we couldn't get to it. And that was true for PV, and that was also true for Petit, who came in, as you mentioned, in an unusual spot for him, in that Bochi prefers to use him to start innings because of his past as a starter. This time he came in with inherited runners for the first time since August, and didn't go that well, but again, a couple of the hits he gave up were were sort of weak and fluky. So that's what happened. And the Royals also had plenty of hard hits too. Um, the Giants didn't didn't really hit Jordana Ventura all that well, and and that was it. They tacked on a few runs in the later innings, but by the time the second inning was over, the Giants' win expectancy was down to three percent or so. I can confirm that. <laughs> So I have summarized the game, and and the other, I mean, once once the outcome of that game was clear, which was which was pretty early, and and Ventura, you know, pitching far beyond his previous single seasons high in innings, didn't really show any ill effects from that, or or nothing too significant. I mean, he was still throwing hard. He was kind of wild. I think you could say effectively wild. He was, I think he threw 58 strikes in 100 pitches, and he walked five guys and allowed only three hits in his seven innings. But, and he didn't really vary his approach all that much, it didn't seem like. Like, he, he wasn't throwing a, a lot more breaking balls or change-ups. He was throwing fewer curveballs and change-ups and, and more four-seamers and cutters. He was just sort of sticking with his fastball approach and... And it worked just fine. It suited him okay. And he got through seven, which was important because the other storyline from this game was how the managers would set themselves up for game seven. And I think they both did a fine job of that. Can you confirm that too? 
it seems that seems right. <laughs> I can keep talking. <laughs> I guess. Do you have a question for me? No. <laughs> I'll give you a press conference question. Talk about how the managers set themselves up for Game Seven. I've got nothing to say. <laughs> Well, by getting Petit out after two-thirds of an inning, I mean, Bochy could have stretched him for much longer if he had wanted to. Instead, he used Gene Machi for three innings, which I think was Machi's longest outing since April of 2013. Yeah. It was kind of lucky that—maybe. I, I maybe. It was almost kind of—okay, so you've been talking about the weak hits and the, the bad luck and bad— cluster luck and and it's very true that you're right that inning in particular where uh the 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 tenor of the world series just completely shifted in in you know an 11 minute stretch uh, had a ton of bad luck for the giants and some good luck for the royals and also some good i mean you know the that double by hosmer was super fluky but also happened because they had forced the giants to play the infield in mm-hmm. that the escobar hit was super unusual but you know Clearly, Escobar's speed was a big factor. If mm-hmm. uh, you know, if Eric Hosmer hits that ball or if somebody else hits that ball, it belt probably gets there in time. Um, and you know, the Giants did make a misplay there. So, although that was a weird play because um, PV PV did two things that he was criticized for. One is he he pointed home, mm-hmm. which was dumb. That was just too too eager. He it was not his. I mean, you know, belt could see the play and PV couldn't see the play, and it just sort of felt like it, this happens in slow-pitch softball all the time, so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm patient with PV, but, you know, ball goes up in the air, and, you know, eight, eight guys are all yelling instructions at you, and, like, four of them are yelling back, you know, like, like the, it's going to be over your head, and, and it's not, and you're like, well, why, don't yell, and then three <laughs> people are telling you what base to throw out, but it's three different bases, so... You know, PV just got a little ahead of himself and screamed out a base, <laughs> like like probably a lot of people did, who forgot that they could be heard or who couldn't be heard, and maybe PV forgot he could be heard. Anyway, so that was the problem. And then the other thing is he didn't cover first base, but that seems like a non-issue, right? He he couldn't cover first base. He he would have run right through Belt's throwing lane. Mm-hmm. So he stopped because he didn't want to disrupt the throw home that he expected was coming. And even if he had, there's no way I don't think that belt can feed him from that position right yeah i don't think so okay anyway that's a small very small side but um the luck we were talking about luck Mm -hmm. uh so it seemed like like it seemed really unlucky that that double went over crawford's head after hosmer chopped it but i think that actually was the best possible luck that they could get that like that that if if that ball doesn't go over crawford's head then petite probably keeps pitching like if that's a ground ball double play then petite stays in the game it's five nothing or whatever uh four nothing and the giants probably lose anyway it's you know maybe they hold on but you know they were gonna lose that game once they were down four nothing probably not Mm -hmm. not certainly and and so it's not certain that it was bad luck of course if they'd come from behind and won that would have been uh optimal but Mm -hmm. Uh, there was kind of a nice way that that it did all fall apart at once. I guess if I guess if you start with the supposition that it was going to all fall apart, as as we saw it happen, that it was best that it fell apart in exactly that way. 
because then Petit got out of that game really fast. And mm-hmm. uh, Bochy could just go exclusively to the guys he doesn't care about. I'm almost, uh, I, I'm almost surprised that he brought Vogelsong in. I guess he didn't really have anybody else to throw that inning. There was much talk about a potential first position player pitching in World Series history, which was a <laughs> question that we were asked in mm-hmm. an email not uh, some time ago. And the answer was just so boring that mm-hmm. there was none. There had been, never been any that we didn't talk about it, but uh, but I guess Vogelsong doesn't figure into Bochi's plans, and he probably has enough of a bullpen with the fully rested Linscombe, semi semi available Bumgarner, and now you know mostly rested Petit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know it it was kind of in, sort of interesting to watch this game that from the third inning on, all you were thinking is how does this affect tomorrow's game, mm-hmm. um, and there's just not that much you can even do to affect tomorrow's game. They got Posey a couple of innings of rest. I'm surprised they didn't get him more because uh, he looks exhausted, mm-hmm. as the catchers do. Uh, I'm surprised that Perez didn't get some rest because he ought to be exhausted. As you've pointed out, he's uh, been catching uh, more than anybody. In, what has he, has he broken the record yet? Will he break it tomorrow, tonight? Yeah, he, he will. Mm-hmm. He'll break the record for most innings ever caught in a single season. How many does he need? I have to add it up, but I think he only needs two or something like that, so he'll break it early. I will tweet it when it happens. and I will tweet that you jinxed it if it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would have been nice, you know, get get Eric Kratz uh, some World Series innings. Yeah, Kratz, has, Kratz hasn't even appeared in the postseason yet, has he? No. <laughs> that's that's actually... Andrew I... Susak got his, got his World Series on, so yeah. I sort of feel bad. That actually is maybe Yost's worst mistake this postseason. <laughs> How do you not get your 34-year-old backup catcher in a postseason game? In a mm-hmm. single postseason game? Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. That is a shame. They had a 10 nothing lead and a bone-tired... Tired, bone-tired. Bones, <laughs> bones don't get tired. A bone-tired catcher uh, playing it out. That's That's a... That seems crazy. No, mm-hmm. I feel, I feel, I, uh, boy, Yost was such a feel-good story, and now I just think he's another <laughs> jerk. Yeah, I started this podcast saying that there weren't many managerial moves to critique, but now we found one. That's a bad one, yeah. Uh, but anyway, the, what I was saying is that you really, when you're watching a 10 nothing game play out and thinking about the game that's going to start tomorrow, you really see how little you can actually do. That There's just not that much you can do. You have to just basically play out the game like you would, and then you play tomorrow's game like you would. Like it's baseball is a very, very hard sport to try anything with, in you know to to play that differently in in a game seven. And the one thing we always talk about is you know riding your bullpen so hard that it basically becomes a bullpen game, um, and that would make sense for the Royals in particular. But even that, you're you're putting guys in positions where you don't know what to get out of them. You're you're increasing the volatility of, you know, Herrera and Davis and Holland if you go to them for two innings, and particularly if you go to them with two innings, and they know it's two innings like mm-hmm. that. You wonder, okay, so do they start? Do, do, does any part of them start pacing themselves a little bit? And do they uh, are they less effective in the first inning? Are they more tired in the second inning? Uh, you know, Holland hasn't done it in a very long time. I, Holland probably won't do it, right? I doubt it, yeah. It seems like between, well, I guess he could if it was a save situation. He couldn't do it if it wasn't a save situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wouldn't be allowed. 
No. He'd get zapped as he ran out of the out of the bullpen, <laughs> just zapped like a like a like a wasp. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, so I guess tonight they're gonna play a game, and in light of what I just said about how difficult it is to do anything particularly different, is it gonna basically just look like a regular baseball game? In in when we look back at this game, do you do you expect it will mostly be? You know, starter comes out and tries to muscle. You know, tries to tries to gut his way to the fifth, and then the relievers come in. But you know, it's, it's going to be mostly mostly the the order that we expect. I mean, we, do you expect to see Herrera in the fifth? Do you expect to see Davis in the sixth, or anything crazy like that? Do you expect to see any? You know, uh, I don't even know what else there would be. Is there going to be anything notable? Eric Kratz appearance. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I would I would guess that there would be more aggressiveness than the typical game. Both managers sort of seem to be talking that way after the game. I mean, Bochi is saying what you were saying, that he said you hate to have a game go like this, but no question it does allow you to do some things you probably normally wouldn't. It's not that you ever say uncle, but at the same time, if you get down that far, it does allow you to use some other guys and maybe stretch them out like we did. And then he said, so we're loaded tomorrow, I feel, and they are too. And he said the only guy who is not available is Machi. And Yost, I think, said everyone is, save for Ventura, of course. And so I would expect that. I mean, I wrote in my recap, if I if I had to give some unsolicited advice to, to managers, it would be to just sort of always have someone warming and maybe maybe that's not good advice i don't we don't know how getting up and then sitting down again affects relief pitchers i wish that we did but but we don't but since they all have so many guys available i mean it's not just every reliever or every good reliever but also every starter who is rested who you might want to use also available obviously madison bumgarner i think is is almost certainly going to pitch in this game for a couple innings, uh, unless the Giants are are down early, or or even if they are down early, I would expect to see him. The Royals could use shields if they wanted to. They can rely heavily on Herrera, Davis, and Holland, though, as you mentioned, that is somewhat risky. But, But yeah, I would think, I mean, with Jeremy Guthrie starting for the Royals, who's maybe the worst pitcher on their staff, and Tim Hudson going for the Giants, who is not as bad as Jeremy Guthrie, but has, you know, sort of struggled over the last couple of months of the season. I would expect to see relievers early and often, or at least to have them ready early and often at the first sign of serious trouble. I mean, there's just no reason you have to get through presumably nine innings and each team has enough really good relievers that you could hand over two-thirds of those innings probably to the bullpen and not not really suffer that much in quality. I mean, you could you could go with Bumgarner for a couple innings. You could push Affelt for a couple innings if you wanted to. You could use Casilla. You could bring back Petit for an inning or two. So, I mean, you could piece together those last several innings very easily just totally with bullpen guys so I would expect it to look something like a a bullpen game of course if if one of the starters is just cruising then 
then certainly someone could go five or six. Just I, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to be aggressive in the way that we keep wanting managers to be aggressive and pulling starters who are pitching really well just because it's the third time through the order or something. I don't know whether I'd expect to see that, but any sign of trouble, I would think someone will be in and there will be matchups and there will be good bullpen guys the whole way. So maybe getting the early lead is particularly important in this game. I was disappointed last night because if the Giants had had gone ahead by four runs at any point in the game, I was going to get to to tweet that the Royals had been outscored in the postseason. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it, now it didn't happen, and now it would happen. Yeah, now there's no chance. Hmm. Now there's a chance, but it's, it would be a disappointing <laughs> uh, game if, if that were the case. Um, uh, so there's been six games in this postseason. One of them was World close Series. in this World Series. One of them was close. A couple of them were sort of close to a point and then got out of hand. Uh, the the final outcomes though six run victory five run one run seven five and ten but we get a game seven so mm-hmm. which is better what we have seen in this World Series or what we saw in all the many sweeps and near sweeps of the postseason series before this yeah I I don't think I would say that this has been a classic series uh, I I probably won't remember it being a great series on its own merits. I will probably remember it being a great series just of a piece with the rest of the postseason, which has been fantastic. And now this going to Game 7 and just the Royals being a good story and the Giants also being a good story in a different way. I would, I think it's it's exciting, but the the individual games have not measured up to what we saw in the previous rounds, certainly. But uh, but it's it's fitting that it goes to Game 7 and it gives us a little bit more baseball because a lot of those previous series were wrapped up quickly and now now we get at least one more day of baseball. Well, no, exactly one more day of baseball. This is it. But it is appropriate, I think, that, that this October end in, in this way. And it's I, I'm really looking forward to this game. I, I had... I was kind of on the fence about coming back to Kansas City for these games because, as we have discussed, covering World Series games in person is, in some ways, worse. At least the the game experience or following the game is worse than watching it at home in that when you watch at home, there's no row of writers in front of you that you have to crane your head over from the left field line to try to see home plate. And... So I decided to come back, and I'm glad that I did because I'm really looking forward to this game as as much as any game I've attended in quite some time. It should be really exciting. So if if Bumgarner is uh, Bumgarner's going to pitch <clears throat> tonight, let's say he's going to pitch two innings. Let's say that's what he's got in mm-hmm. it, and he's definitely going to if if he's in any way useful because he is in the Giants' minds probably definitely their best or one of their three best pitchers uh you know tonight right Mm -hmm. he is certainly better than almost everybody else on their staff so if you're going to use him in any situation that merits it for two innings why don't you just start him why wouldn't he just start and go two innings i i don't know maybe i mean because you don't i guess the same for shields uh, presumably the royals 
uh, would use Shields because they think he's he's really good. They think he's probably better than everybody but the big three. So if they're already intending to to try to use him, why not use him? And then maybe you don't even have to go to Guthrie, or maybe you see how far Shields takes you, and then you only have to go to Guthrie for two innings instead of that weird telling Guthrie, oh, pitch through four, but you know leave it all out there, but you got to make it through four, kind of a thing. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know. I I mean, it's it's not really a situation where you're. I, I guess the the risk is that that they do only have two innings in them, and then you have to just get through the game somehow. So you but have you're to... already only getting you're already only planning on getting two innings out of him. You're already having to get through the game. You still can go to Hudson after those two innings, right? And... It's just that you have you have more certainty about what you need. Because what if Bumgarner? I mean. I don't know. What if you... Well, I don't know. It it just feels like you start with the things... If possible, you start with the things you're certain about. And you make sure that those play out as you wanted. And then you figure out what you have left that you're uncertain about. And it's a little harder to tell Wade Davis. Because, I mean, I theoretically, in a world where these guys were machines, Wade Davis would start. And he would throw his two innings at the front. And you just would get those two innings out of the way and banked and you'd have a certainty about them because those two innings are going to be just as important as the two innings that Davis might actually pitch. Um, but you know, you don't Dave for Davis, that would be a huge change, right? It would be like something that he's just not prepared to do this year that mentally it might throw him out of, out of whack and all that. And mm-hmm. so that would be weird. But with Bumgarner, it doesn't seem like that's an issue. You you're asking Hudson to relieve mm-hmm. now which is a little different, but mm-hmm. you're as it is, you're asking Bumgarner to relieve, which is a right. little different. And uh, I don't know, if, if I wanted to make sure that, um, if I had two starters, one of them was going to relieve, and I wanted to make sure that uh, that one of them had the advantage of getting to warm up uh, a lot in, on his regular schedule so he's really loose, I probably would choose the guy who's coming back from short rest and might have might need extra help getting loose. I don't know. Yeah, if they had decided to do that, I wouldn't really be opposed. Maybe it's that since both of these guys are tired, they've pitched a ton of innings, thrown a ton of pitches this year, and they're on short rest, maybe you don't want them coming in. You don't want them in that starting role because if they're starting the game like they normally would, then they would be in that same starting mindset and... Mm -hmm. They'll be pacing themselves like they normally would, whereas if you bring them in in the middle of the game when they know they're only there for a couple innings, there's no chance of of extending themselves and going five or something, then they will be leaving it all out there, as they say, and, and you know, throwing in that bullpen mentality, perhaps. Maybe they think that that's a way to kind of counteract the fatigue by forcing them into a short relief role where where they will be airing it out more. I don't know. That's that's my explanation, but I, I don't I don't know in practice whether it makes all that much difference cuz yeah, I mean Bumgarner has not pitched out of the bullpen since 2010 when he did it in the NLCS and uh, so it's not as if he has much experience in this role either. You're asking someone to do something they're not accustomed to. So I don't know why it makes that much difference, but that's my answer. Mm-hmm. And there have been a bunch of 
facts that you probably have not found fun about Game 7s and Game 6s on the road. So the, the popular one, or one of the popular ones, is that there has not been a Game 7 World Series victory by a road team since 1979. And that sounds... In the, in the World Series. Yes. Yeah, and which sounds that, super, super daunting. It does. It sounds like, man, I mean, 1979's a long time ago. That's like 35 World Series. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but... Of yeah. course, that is a subset of a subset of a subset. It is World Series games. They only play one World Series a year, and it's Game 7s. Most World Series don't go to Game 7s. And it's Road Game 7s. So really, it is a streak of nine straight home, uh, Game 7 World Series victories by home teams. And nine victories over 35 years whether or not they're consecutive is probably not as impressive as it sounds. And Jeff Sullivan looked into this. Uh, he, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna stand up for this fun fact because okay. that because it is if it were nine, mm-hmm. if you just said that road teams have lost the not last nine game sevens, mm-hmm. which is really saying nine of ten. Uh, but if you just said they lost the last nine game sevens, that would be interesting. Like that's a somewhat interesting right and so then it's almost the same as the fun facts you hated at the beginning of the series right when it was like the the team that won game one has won nine of the last 11 or 14 of the last 17 or 22 of the last 26 no no no. it's only it's only almost like it this is a fun fact this is (laughs) if if they were nine if if they had lost nine of 11 that would not be interesting Uh and the one the ones earlier in the week were it were used as an attempt to, uh, you know, sort of be an analysis. It was like, well, how likely are the Royals to win now? Well, let's go look at the last 14 years. Uh, <laughs> kind of a kind of an idea. This is different. This this is nine out of nine. It has a nice clean. Uh, uh, it has nice clean lines. It is a pure stat. Nine is nine out of nine. It works. Okay, so that's fine. That to me, that is a legitimate thing to note. And mm-hmm. then. And then changing it from 0 and 9 to 1979 is just classic fun fact boundary shifting. It's perfect. It's it's way more impressive sounding. It's the same fact, mm-hmm. but it's way more impressive sounding. And in fact, when I heard it, I thought, ah, that's probably like 0 and 6. And that wouldn't be a fun fact. But 0 and 9 mm. I, qualifies. So I you not, prove of the fact, but, but do you think it's significant in any way? Uh, No. No, not at all. <laughs> Goodness, not even a little bit. Right. Yeah, so Jeff Sullivan wrote about it yesterday, and he looked for any sign that there is a really high leverage, extra home field advantage boost. And he looked at, I don't know, elimination games and game sevens in every series and any sort of series where you would think that if there were some sort of special significance to having home field advantage in a must-win game, uh, that it would show up, and he found nothing. It's basically the typical home field advantage. So, And we've talked about that, too, the, the, in the postseason as well. Just generally speaking, the postseason has the same winning percentage, home field winning percentage, as the regular season, which yes. is, mm-hmm. is counterintuitive and hard to explain, and we've tried to explain it. Uh, but... Yeah, it doesn't seem like anything that uh, has to do with crowd size or crowd volume, uh, 
things that would play up in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of those things have caused a higher winning percentage, home winning percentage in the postseason. Mm-hmm. So that's that's it, I guess. We we talked about Game Six. We've previewed Game Seven. So our job here is done. So this is the last day of baseball in the 2014 season. We hope that you savor the last the last game. We will be, and we will be back to talk about it tomorrow morning, most likely. And we hope that you support our sponsor at uh, BaseballReference.com by going there and subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription.